morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 51. This is a chapter, it's got a few connections to different places in Scripture. I think that some of it might sound familiar, especially when we get to the part that's talking about heaven and earth uh, vanishing like smoke and wearing out. This language is the stuff that we find in Revelation. So, you know, like what, what's it doing all the way back here in, in Isaiah's day here when we're talking about um, this time looking ahead from Isaiah's perspective to the time of the Babylonian captivity, looking at stuff that sounds like the end of the world. So we've got some of that here in Isaiah 51. We have some very potent images here of of God destroying a dragon, piercing a dragon, cutting it to pieces. So what what's this Rahab dragon here? We've we've talked about Rahab before in Isaiah. And then finally in the in the end of the chapter there's this discussion of this cup and drinking this the dregs of this cup, this cup of wrath that will be passed uh, passed on from Israel to Israel's enemies. Uh, very interesting image here describing God's wrath as a cup to drink. That's not the only place in Scripture that God's wrath is talked about that way. It happens in the Gospels, too. So a lot of really potent images here. And joining us today, we have one of our guests uh, returning here. We've got Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor of Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, in the studio. Welcome, brother. Good to have you back. Good to good to be with you, Pastor Espinoza, and I'm glad that uh, we can be back together again. I was here in July. Yeah, so, so it's uh, been a it's been a we, little we'll while. See what we can do about uh, taking a look at this particular chapter, an interesting chapter to say the least. You're right. Yeah, it's 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 a lot going on. It is one that that occurs in the lectionary, and it's interesting when it does occur that you know uh, at least one of the places anyway is that in the year B series, it occurs on the last Sunday of the church year. So mm. definitely feeling that that end times kind of uh, theme, like with some of that, that language that I was mentioning with like the vanishing like smoke and the earth wearing out like a garment and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to understand Isaiah 51 without understanding its context of Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 52 and, and the rest of it. And it all kind of fits together. This is this is the heart of Isaiah's messianic prophecy era. Um, mm. uh, yeah, and, and I, I think I think, find I think that you're in right. Chapters before and after. Yeah, I, th I think I think you're right. You know, like it, it's one. You see words like kind of have in your head. You know, like oh, I know what that that phrase means, and you kind of latch on to it, but. You got to, as you're saying, take a look at, hang on a second, but how about what we've been reading so far? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's very helpful because when we were looking at Isaiah, you know, 49 and Isaiah 50, we, we saw there, there's this, these two levels at least, or maybe three levels. Um, we saw that, especially when we were looking at Isaiah 49, you know, we were seeing on the one hand, there is this sense that, you know, is this is the time of Israel gathering Israel, that the remnant's going to come back to Judah and, and unite the people that have kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of Babylon, 
time of of rebuilding, mm-hmm. right, of judgment against Babylon. So it seems like on the one hand, we're dealing with this situation of, you know, hey, pick up your stuff, pack your bags, we're heading back home, right, back mm-hmm. from Babylon. But we talked about on the other hand, though, when you're talking about, you know, a servant um, who gathers all of Israel together and even gathers in the Gentiles, you know, who defeats, you know, Babylon, you know, not just as a nation, but as like the kind of symbol of all evil, that that is a very cosmic and universal scope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's my contention, you know, people can disagree, uh, that Isaiah is not only doing messianic prophecy here, he's also doing uh, Babylonian captivity prophetic. Um, I tend to think that he's looking forward into a time that he hasn't experienced himself. Um, and and, and uh, you could see that in uh, chapter 45, where he even names the guy who takes down the the nation of Babylon uh, 100 years before the guy was even born. Right. I just, That's right. I just yeah, love we, that. Yeah, I know. So, so yeah, we saw that mentioned Cyrus there, and mm-hmm. like specifically, too, he's mentioning the gods of Babylon, Nebo, and what was the other one? Marduk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he's like mentioning these these specific gods, these specific kings and rulers, right? So, I, I agree with you that like you've got both going on here, not not just kind of the stuff that we recognize, you know, in the New Testament, kind of referring to like the, you know, the future from our perspective, but mm-hmm. this the stuff in the past too. So, we want to pay attention to both. We want yes. to make sure we get both levels, tie them together, because that's how I think you see how it all fits together nicely. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to, to doing this chapter here. Let's go ahead and get started reading. As we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today? Certainly. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray that we might be able to learn from this chapter that has been passed on to us by the prophet Isaiah, especially for those times when we need your comfort. We need your promises because things are not going well for us right now. Help us to understand that we can have confidence in the future because of what you've done for us and for your people in the past. We pray in Jesus, the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read the first three verses here just to get the ball rolling. And uh, already, you know, there's an interesting... There's an interesting mention here of Abraham and Sarah, and I, I think understanding mm-hmm. what what's going on with invoking those names is pretty significant. Let's go ahead and read these first these first three. Isaiah fifty one. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. So, yeah, right right in the middle here of, of these three verses, which fit together, I think, as a kind of constant consistent meaning i think throughout the three of them but right in the middle i think the key to understanding it is with abraham and sarah so uh, i mean we haven't had abraham and sarah mentioned in in several chapters actually so why do you think they're being mentioned now 
Well, remember, Abraham is the foundation of everything that uh, they identify themselves with as God's people. It's, it's Abraham and Sarah who are the father and mother of the nation. And right. so once again, they were appealing, to, uh, Isaiah's appealing to the past, giving them hope for the future. And it's important for us to be able to see that uh, what he's trying to do is he's trying to give them their understanding of the continued story. It's interesting, the beginning of this chapter says uh, is addressed to those who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. So we're not talking about people who are um, uh, what we would call sinners, using mm. it in a less than charitable form. Uh, mm. we're, we're talking about people who are really trying their hardest to understand what God's saying, really trying their hardest to be able to go to the temple and all the rest of that. And it just seems that things are not going the way they want them to. Um, yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Uh, and I thank you for, for pointing that out. It's an interesting phrase there, right? Pursue righteousness. And then, then it's followed up. We have this kind of poetic parallelism where the, the phrases are helping us understand each other. So mm-hmm. pursue righteousness is uh, supposed to mean something similar to uh, who seek the Lord, that th- those things are they're in parallel. And uh, it, it is a question, you know, what, what exactly does that mean? And I, I have to admit that the first time I looked at this, that was my first thought, mm-hmm. that pursue righteousness means, you know, you're, you're trying your best to do the right thing, right? Um, I just saw uh, Frozen 2 with my with my wife and my, my little girls mm-hmm. who are big fans. And there's there's a big, big theme in that movie, do the next right thing, do the next right thing, right? You're just trying hard and... It's hard to, you know, uh, find like the big purpose goal. Sometimes all you can do is just try to do the next right thing. That was the thing, right? So it, it's kind of easy to <clears throat> to kind of think of this as like you're just trying to just trying to get by and do what's right, and it's hard. But it's interesting. Another way that you can take that, and we've seen this before too in Isaiah, mm-hmm. righteousness doesn't always refer to the right thing that we might do, but it might refer to the righteous salvation of God, of God writing a situation that's that's horribly out of whack and horribly wrong. Yeah. It could it could it mean those who are hoping for God to show up with his righteous victory? Could it mean those who are longing for the Lord to come and bring salvation? It it, it might be speaking, I think, to maybe their their despair, their 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 despair, and their their grief, really, in the midst of exile, like just wishing that God would come and do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I mean I, I mean maybe both are are true to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean they could be very complementary, but I mean that that was the situation in exile, though, right? Yes, it was. Uh, it reminds me uh, going back to the Christian year, and we pastors have a way of doing that. That since we're in the middle of Advent, well, not the middle, the first week, um, we're also in a similar situation when we reach Advent. We're going through all the stuff that's happening in our world, and um, we all of a sudden have come upon this celebration of the coming of Christ into the world. I have a little song lyric for you, Pastor Espinoza. Oh, yeah. Um, this is a hymn that isn't in our hymnal, but it should be. It's a a hymn that uh, is sung at this service that's done at King's College Chapel in Cambridge, England every Christmas Eve, and it's called In the Bleak Midwinter. 
Mm. I realize in Southern California, you don't run into bleak midwinters. <laughs> and here in the St. Louis metropolitan area, even what's described here doesn't sound like a Christmas that I remember. And I've lived in this area for 40 years. Yeah. But uh, let me do a couple of verses of this hymn. Sure, sure. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Stone had fall, a snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, uh, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. Uh, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And then one more verse toward the end. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can give him, give my heart. And I think in some ways, we fit ourselves into the same circumstances, Isaiah 51, if we take the words of that, of that hymn seriously in our Advent worship. Yeah. Yeah, th thank you for sharing that. You know, I really... I really do like how in the, in these um these traditional hymns there's there's uh well I mean there there's the thing it's the word tradition right you you catch actually a little bit of the teaching tradition of mm -hmm. the church and this idea that that this this world even is sort of like a winter before the spring it's like the dark evening before the dawn of a new day and uh we we do find ourselves in that situation of maybe not political exile though i mean some in some places this is actually what's happening in, in the church people mm -hmm. are having to run from their lives i'm thinking about um you know i'm thinking about like the the kurds right um yes. who are having to you know get out of town because of everything going on in the middle east right mm -hmm. so uh, it's actually happening happening literally in some places but even for us we find ourselves in a, a spiritual kind of exile a spiritual kind of winter here and we can we can definitely relate then Isaiah 51 to our own situation and speaking into this then situation of of discouragement of of uh, of, of bleak cold right mm -hmm. when it looks like nothing can grow right what what does God say in verse 3 right well he can turn a wilderness into the garden of Eden right or, going back to creation right you know and, and that's that's the story you get in Genesis 2 like you know there's there's nothing there's no plants there's there's no rain and yet you would think that that's just going to be a wasteland and yet God goes and transforms it to a beautiful garden right with every kind of good tree and similarly you've got Abraham and Sarah who are kind of just like that you know you got a, a couple of childless old people who have never been to anything resembling a promised land right how is that gonna work and God transforms Abraham and Sarah into the progenitors of this most blessed nation. So it's 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 this kind of like you were saying in the prayer. You know, if we remember what God's done in the past, that gives us comfort for now in the present, looking at our future. If God did that with the Garden of Eden, if God did that with Abraham and Sarah, as bad as things looked, as hopeless as their situation was, I mean, they they were despairing. I mean, that's why they were laughing, right? They were laughing in in despair, like. We're never going to have kids. That's right. I mean, I'm 100 years old. How's that going to work? And yet, look what God did. So he works miracles even in the midst of our dark winter of exile. Yes. And so um, 
And, and you could see that that hymn was written by a lady who lived in England in the 19th century. And uh, obviously they had winners that were a lot more serious than the ones that we were in. But it's the same idea. If, right. if you have a backyard that's filled with snow, uh, like my uh, two little granddaughters in North Dakota have today, uh, <laughs> I, you, know, you know, based on your experience, that spring is coming. Right. And, uh, and, and so the, the imagery here that talks about deserts, all we got to do is just transfer it, and it's the same idea, that God's going to come and, uh, and, and change the entire environment. And it says, right. joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in a voice of song, when we see that happening. And, and that's exactly what we see in the next few verses, um, that God is going to show up and bring salvation. And so that's the thing we've got to pre- kind of prepare ourselves for. What, what's coming next is a description of God bringing salvation, even though by the time we get to verse 6, everyone's going to be saying, like, oh, what? That's salvation? Um, but let's let's go ahead and open our ears here and give attention, as the text says here. Let's take a look at the next three verses here, picking it up at verse 4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they will, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. So certainly that's that's the verse six, right? That you know, that's the reason why we get it in the last Sunday of the church here in year B. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like it sounds exactly like what you have in Revelation six, where um in, in verse twelve you get the opening of like the sixth seal and you get this description of the sun and the moon going black or turning into blood, the stars falling from the sky. The fig tree sheds its fruit as in a winter gale, right? Mm-hmm. Going, drawing on that winter imagery, right? And then it says, the sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So, I mean, it sounds just like this very scary end of the world thing, but the the, the message is actually that this is, this is God showing up to save from this situation. This is in verse 5, my righteousness, what we're talking about. Righteousness can mean salvation here. Mm-hmm. This is God's righteousness drawing near. This is God bringing a light into the darkness. So help, help us reconcile those thoughts here, like that this sounds like a scary end-of-the-world situation, but this is supposed to be salvation. It is supposed to be salvation, but it's uh, important for us to remember uh, that that God can accomplish all kinds of things, not just for and on behalf of his people, but also in the process of sending just desserts to those people who do not pay attention to what he has to say. But right. interestingly enough, he can do that uh, through anybody. That's the reason why I just absolutely love that chapter 45, where Cyrus is named. Yeah. and uh, and And it says that He's going to use this uh, this man who destroyed the nation of Babylon. Remember, he's projecting forward, right? Um, and and he says that that I'm that I'm doing this through you, uh, even though you do not acknowledge me, which is an amazing right. statement, yeah. an absolutely amazing statement. 
that he's used Cyrus to be able to destroy the Babylonians who had destroyed the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and he does it so that Cyrus can accomplish for his people what he wants to have accomplished for them. That his will right. can be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it, it is amazing. And we've talked a little bit about Cyrus. And we talked about how, um, in the end, he actually didn't really have to destroy the city of Babylon. He kind of just uh, waltzed in because, yeah. <laughs> you know, every, everyone saw the writing on the wall, so to speak. And they said, all right, come yeah. on in. You're, you're, the, you're the king. But, <clears throat> you know, Cyrus didn't do that everywhere when he was conquering his empire. No. A lot of it was... Just absolute destruction and tons of bloodshed and a lot of, I mean, cruelty. And, you know, we know that the, and we know that Persia tried to, you know, conquer Greece even. And of course, there's a well known popular movie about that. Um, a very bloody campaign, right? So, I mean, this is what they were doing. You know, Persia was coming in, in from that perspective of what was going on. I'm sure it felt like the end of the world. Yes. Seeing the Persian armies coming and marching down and hearing words of this army that's unlike anything the world's ever seen. I mean, I, I think that would have felt like the the heavens vanishing like smoke and the earth wearing out like a garment, having the Persians take over, you know, basically the whole known world at the time. But God was using that, mysterious as, as it is, he was using that to bring salvation and to rescue his people and that even something really scary like that, um, it's all used for God's purposes. All things work together for good. And one of the things that's wonderful about uh, the chapter before, for instance, is that uh, uh, Isaiah uses messianic language to describe ultimately for us what Jesus has done for us. I gave right. my back to those who strike and uh, my cheeks to those who put, pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace or spitting. The amazing thing about this story is that all of this horrible stuff literally happens to Jesus so he can save us from our sins. And Absolutely. Isaiah is even given those words. Right, right, exactly. So so you got then like so you know our first level it's like you know it's the, it's the end of you know the Babylonian civilization and it is a significant end cuz I mean, there was a long time before all of this, an old Babylonian empire. Mm -hmm. um, and then in, in this situation here that they, they come back into power and there's a neo-Babylonian empire. There's no more Babylonian empires after this. No. I mean, they, they don't get any other run. I mean, there, there's no, if you look at the map today, there's no Babylon anymore. There's no, there's really not really any people who call themselves even Babylonians even. Um, I mean, Babylon is basically a, I mean, really ruins in, in Iraq. Mm -hmm. um, and you have, you know, a couple of, you know, I mean, we had Saddam Hussein, who kind of, I think, in some ways kind of envisioned himself as a new king of Babylon. But, I mean, th this is just the end. So it, it was um, a, a, a devastation that the Persians unleashed upon the earth on the first level. But then on that second level, as you said, we see this in our Lord Jesus Christ, that and of course, you think to yourself, well, hang on a second. When was the earth devastated when Jesus came? You know, like uh, Jesus didn't, you know, conquer and, and ride in on a war horse with a sword, right? Well, but we got to remember, he did He did walk into the temple and he didn't say not one of these stones is going to be left standing upon another. And that's exactly what happened not even 40 years after he said all that. Mm -hmm. And now, And now the temple that was destroyed by the Romans... 
uh, is occupied by a Muslim mosque and has been there for yeah. 900 years. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, so you you have all this thing, all these things on multiple levels. There's there's the yes. Persians, right, and then the Romans. They come, um, you know, and bring the destruction that our Lord Jesus Himself, after He, as you were describing, you know, submitted Himself to to beating and torture and mocking and and all the rest uh, for our own sake. You know, there's the destruction of the temple, and then finally there, there's that third level of you know we are looking towards. The end of this age, this evil age, as Paul calls it, that there is a final redemption for God's people. Mm -hmm. uh, more could be said about that. We had to take a short break here, but hang on, everybody. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 51 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Are you the type of person who loves their community and wants it to be the best it can be? Now it's easier than ever to do your part. Go to RecycleMo.com to see just how easy it is to recycle the right way. Or if you already recycle and want to be as efficient as possible, RecycleMo.com can tell you what should and should not be recycled in your area. Become part of the clean recycling movement today. It's the right thing to do. Sponsored by the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 51 here. We're joined by Pastor Doug Nicely, pastor of Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. I'd like to invite all our live listeners, if you have a question for me or Pastor Nicely, go ahead and call in 1-800-730-2727. If you're in St. Louis, 314 or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So we're just we we're just looking at, at, we're still in the first part of this chapter here. We just read through verse 6, this very kind of end of the world language. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were kind of reflecting on how it, it's a description, as it says in verse 5, of God's righteousness, his salvation. It's a description of, of not just, you know, terrible, indiscriminate disaster, but of God 
using destruction and even in this case the the Persian army in the, in the local case here um, to rescue God's people from their enemies. Um, and that's exactly what you have. If you keep reading here, too, it makes it clear in this context. If you read verses 7 through 11, it's a description of God rescuing his people. So I, I just want to go ahead and you know read those verses here and in, invite your brother to, to kind of just chime in and kind of keep developing this thought for us here. Sure. That, you know, he's not talking about just, you know, I don't know, a meteor comes and wipes out everything, the end or something. Um, but that this is this is a poetic description of God using disaster um, to, to to turn the tables on God's enemies to rescue His own people. So mm-hmm. here's here's seven to eleven, kind of developing this thought here. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's interesting that they quote these episodes in the life of their story. Yeah. um, Of Israel. Yeah, going back to the Exodus. Right. And uh, it's also interesting that, you know, that's another way of giving encouragement to one another. Mm -hmm. Um, This this last Sunday was... uh, uh, first Sunday in Advent, and uh, there are some people, uh, myself, one of them, that calls that the Watch Sunday. It's mm-hmm. basically the the Watch Out Sunday. And as I mentioned <laughs> in my sermon on Sunday, there there is another day that's called, or another night that's called Watch Night, and that's New Year's Eve. That just shows our calendar and the Roman calendar isn't exactly the same. And Watch mm-hmm. Night comes with a similar idea in mind. Uh, If you'll remember, uh, New Year's Eve is called Watch Night, and it goes back to 1864. And in 1864, January 1st, the Emancipation Proclamation became the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And and the slaves uh, were were waiting until 12 midnight uh, at the beginning of 1864, knowing that because of the Emancipation Proclamation, they were free. And so they call it the Watch Night. Well, yeah. this time of the Advent is our watch night, our watch week, if you will. Yeah, And you can see some of that, once again, in these verses that you just read. Yeah, thanks. I mean, that's that's a really cool analogy, thinking about that, like just, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I, of course, that seems a lot more meaningful, um, waiting for emancipation and, and liberty than, um, you know, waiting for the ball to drop. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that, that kind of idea where well, you're, you're, you're watching for you're... some people. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah but you like that, that waiting and waiting and, you know, salvation is near and it's coming and like, all you need to do is, you know, be still and wait as it was mm-hmm. with the Exodus. That's what God told his people. Right. And so, 
you have this very poetic description. We've seen it before that Rahab is a is a poetic metaphor for the power of Egypt, mm-hmm. and, and Egypt was one of the big superpowers at the time, along with uh, Babylon, and it would have seemed like you know the, they were a dragon, right? You know, mm-hmm. but. But this is a reminder, hey, you know, these big scary dragons, like, you know, God cut them to pieces um, as he forged a path through the water, did the impossible, right? And and so it's it's really clear from the, the language here, you know, especially where, you know, it says in verse 8, the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool, that, you know, all this end of the world language is is god's way of saying like hey i know it seems like they rule the world and this is their world well their world is coming to an end Mm -hmm. their rule is over you know their age has come to a close you know and and what's coming is that new year of liberty like you were just saying that new year of emancipation you know my year um, which is actually why we use that on our calendars that you know this is an ad 2019 because we we believe on a certain level um when our lord jesus came that was the beginning of a new world a new reign and we look forward to that being fully realized yes and uh uh, that's the reason why i don't like to push this analogy of jesus coming on the last day and trashing uh trashing the earth because Mm. it says in the book of revelation when he comes back again there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Right. Uh, right. So, uh, so, so this is imagery that's used to describe those people who are following the wrong course, who eventually will be trashed. Right. But well, there will be a new heaven and a new earth when that happens. Yes, yes. And, that, and, that's, and actually that's, that's very helpful because when we're looking at Revelation, right, because we were just looking at, you know, there's that parallel, that close parallel between verse 6 the heavens vanish like smoke, earth wears out like a garment, right? Where it says in, in Revelation 6, verse 12, uh, or verse 14, rather, the sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, right? It's it's very, very similar. It's, it seems like it's an illusion, actually. Mm-hmm. Look at the context of Revelation. That's the sixth seal. That's the seal that's coming after, like, the first four, which had those writers of the apocalypse, you know, these, the, like the, the bringers of tyranny and pestilence and death and bloodshed, right? I mean, this is, this is this destruction that's coming to destroy them, that's coming to destroy the enemies of God, that's coming to destroy the ones who oppress the innocent and um, use bloodshed for their advantage and all the rest. You know, it's an image, as it says in Revelation, he says, I saw the old heaven and the old earth pass away. And then, as you said, there's a new one. So it's it's not as if everything is over. It's no. that everything is renewed. Mm-hmm. We're back to its original place where it was in the Garden of Eden. And there was right, which is what we had that at the beginning of the chapter, yeah. too. Exactly, exactly. Back in chapter, uh, verse 3, right? It was, uh, makes her wilderness like Eden. That, yeah, and I, I really like that thought that, like, the, the last day will be, will be less like, you know, the world gets, you know, wiped out and, you know, it, everything's brought to destruction. It'll be more like a wilderness being transformed into a garden, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's, uh, yeah, there, there will be, of course, you know, destruction that's being used, um, as we, as, we, as we've seen elsewhere in scripture. Um, but you know, it's destruction, um, that's used for the sake of salvation and growth and, and renewal. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, I really appreciate that, that, that analogy you use there with, uh, the watch night and it's, uh, I mean, this is actually, it's a very helpful point for us understanding both the, the prophets here, especially Isaiah, and then also in the new Testament revelation, which is just a book that's, uh, it's sadly misunderstood all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's good to understand if you understand Isaiah, you can understand revelation, right? Yes. That's why Isaiah right, well, is so important to concentrate on during this Advent yes. season. Yes, yes, and it's very good that we do get so many readings from from Isaiah. We, it's in I think it's like the, the Old Testament reading for the, the whole month. The next few, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the whole month basically. Yeah, it's very good. All right, well, let, let's go ahead and keep going on here. We've mm -hmm. we've gotten about halfway through the chapter. Uh, we we can take it through. I think verse. Mm, I don't know if we should go through verse twenty. Let, let's start through verse 16 anyway, just to mm -hmm. uh, take the next step here. So the, the you, we may have all noticed here that the, the voice seems to have changed, that it, it seems like kind of at first it was sort of like, um, you know, God speaking. And then what we just read, um, you know, awake, awake, put on strength. It seems to be you know, the voice of the, the prophet more directly speaking to God, right? And, and now it's switching now in verse 12 back to the voice of God here. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy? And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released he shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Mm -hmm. So just... uh some very, very beautiful words of, of consolation there, especially just the last four words there. You are my people. Don't, don't ever forget it. I haven't forgotten you. And the, the message here is, you know, why would you be scared of, of all these, you know, these rulers, all these people who bear the sword when really it's God who is the one who has power over all these things. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, though, though our Lord takes it in a different direction when our Lord says in the gospel, you know, don't fear the one who can, you know, kill the body, but fear the one who can, you know, kill the soul. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and of course, it's kind of taking it another direction here, but it's it's sort of the same uh, general thrust where here it's like, you know, hey, wh why are you afraid of these people who are threatening to kill you when I am the one who can make them like nothing? I can burn them up like the grass. Mm -hmm. It also gives us some encouragement um, in chapter, in verse 12, it says, who are you that you are afraid of a man who dies yeah. instead of man who is made like grass? Um, when I read these verses over the first time, it, it, uh, it, uh, moved me back to the book of Job. Mm -hmm. Remember there's mm -hmm. nobody in the Bible who went through more pain and, um, discomfort than Job was, Job yeah. did. But in the middle of that, in the middle of all the horrible things that went, that went on in his life, 
He says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were described in my book. Oh, that they, with an iron lead, uh, they were engraved in a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. How encouraging that is for us yeah. to be able to understand the comfort that the Lord's giving to us in these verses, because that's where he wants us to be. Right. You yeah, know, it's, it's extremely encouraging when you see that in Scripture, that it, it's really these images of people going through such darkness and pain and despair and sorrow who in those moments can see God. Um, and, and there's these moments of faith and clarity, right? And um, mm-hmm. you, you, you have it in Job, you have it. Um, I mean, we had this on the last Sunday of the church here. We, we had that, that gospel reading where it's um, our Lord Jesus speaking to the thief on the cross, right? And it's, yes. it, it, it's in the darkness of the cross, right, that that thief sees that Jesus is the true king, asks him to remember him. Like, he, he, he believes that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead, and he's basically the only one who does. <laughs> um, everyone else is giving up. But it's in the darkness of the cross, it's in the darkness of our, of our pain and our sorrow that God actually works works faith and um you know in our hearts which are like you know can feel like a a dreary barren wilderness that that's when you know faith makes it alive and and give god gives us a new heart and we can we can see see this uh, which is a great comfort even in the midst of the darkness Mm -hmm. and the promise is there and once again it is repeated continually throughout the story we have in the scriptures so that when we are in our own circumstances, and our circumstances may be present, but, but we have a way in the world in which we live to take whatever the situation is right now and, uh, and project it forward. And pro- mm. project it forward to make it sound like things are bad and getting worse. To the point yeah. where we have decided, based upon our own configuration, that the world is coming to an end. Right. Uh, name your issue. It doesn't matter. There are all sorts of them out there. Well, and, yeah, and you know that that doesn't take that doesn't take the Lord seriously. Yeah, and his yeah, power you're right. To redeem. You're right. We uh, well, and part of it, I think, though, is is that you know, we, we make we make these idols in our hearts, and so we set it up so that like if we don't have this one thing, if I don't get my way on this one issue, all is lost. Right. Basically. Right. And we, it's like, you know, if we don't have that, then like, why, why even bother waking up in the morning? Like what, like what, what's the whole project for, right? Why, why do I bother working? Like what, why, why is my country worth anything if I don't have this one thing? Right. And so I, I think that's part of the problem is that we, 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 we make these idols. And so when our idols are threatened, as, as you said, we uh, we just we get to this place of despair where things are terrible and they're always going to be terrible until this changes and mm-hmm. um, you know it's just very easy for us to get extremely um, negative and hopeless actually um, when when it seems like whatever we're idolizing is in jeopardy and in our uh, and in our uh, political spectrum and uh, in our ethical spectrum. Uh, without without knowing Christ and who he is and what he what he's doing, the only alternative we have is to set up a protest march. But if yeah. if uh, setting up a protest march does not give us what we want, then we resort to violence. Right. Which accomplishes yeah, no. nothing. 
Yeah, no, well, yeah, or I mean, it, it ends up undermining even the thing that we want, right? Yes. If we yes. if we weren't going to get it peaceably, like um, good luck trying to get it through violence. Um, it, it, the irony is that you know the the goalposts always always move um, move further and further away when we resort to to violence and tyranny and all the rest of it. So I honestly yeah. believe that Martin Luther King would be um, humiliated by what protests are uh, going in, in the stream they're going on now. Because yeah. he really was a nonviolent person, and he understood. Yeah. And I think he understood well, Jesus. Well, yeah, well, then, and that's the big thing, right? I mean, like, why is he named Martin Luther King, right? Yes. Martin Luther King Jr., right? I mean, his father named him that, you know, because, you know, they went to Germany and they were inspired by the pure gospel teaching that, that mm -hmm. they found in Martin Luther, you know, I mean, all that stuff was going on, all of that, and for, I mean, the movement that he was trying to set up, it was not because he felt like, you know, if, if he didn't achieve a particular goal, everything was lost, but it was because he believed that God had already achieved his goal and his salvation, mm -hmm. and it was in the light of God's grace that he was compelled to serve his neighbor and to and to work towards the the common good um, because he already believed that the ultimate good had been achieved and, you know and, and and it's just if you don't have the same direction that Martin Luther King Jr had i mean it's just nothing but as you were kind of saying like a really a really shallow uh, imitation mm -hmm. But so uh, our Lord here, you know, just reaffirming, you know, he is the, he is the one. If you, if you don't have it straight that he's the one who brings the salvation, you know, or we're going to get this hopelessly upside down and backwards here. In verse 15, again, repeating that Exodus victory, you know, he's the one who stirs up the sea so that, you know, we had that way across, you know, our, our place is to be still and know that he is God. So after God reminds us of this here, he then this is this is really interesting. In verse seventeen, there's a turn here, and mm -hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and read it here, and I'll, I can ask what 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 sense you can make of this uh, this cup here. Verse seventeen: Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she's born. There's none to take her by the hand among all the sons she's brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They're full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. I'm actually going to go ahead and just read to the end, sure. kind of taking, We're close. Uh, taking into account the time that we have here, too. Just, yeah, so to the end here. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, you who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I've taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. All right, so this this cup of God's wrath um, that that it says, you know, they have been, you know, God's people have been drinking this. And it's saying here, look, put the cup down, wake up. You're drunk, but not with wine. It's time to stop being drunk, to wake up, 
I'm going to give this cup to somebody else. So, I mean, what, this is a very interesting metaphor. It's not the only place uh, where this pops up. But so what's it what's it getting at? Well, um, pastor friend of mine who was doing a lecture the other night uh, mentioned that there were there were several cups mentioned in the Old and New Testament. But mm-hmm. let's just take a look at this one. Uh, and that is the cup of wrath. Uh, this obviously means that uh, the people have gotten, what should we call it, depressed? Yeah. Uh, because they are oppressed. Mm-hmm. But what he's doing, and I, and I like what you said, Pastor Espinoza, that what he's done is he's decided he's going to take this cup and give it to somebody else. And we hear at the end of the next chapter, Behold my servant who will act wisely, he shall uh, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted, as many astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human sense semblance, and and this form beyond that of uh, childhood of man, children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told um, them they will see. And uh, that which they which they have not heard, they under, they will understand. Um, we know that once again as a messianic prophecy. Right. What, what the Lord has decided to do is He's decided to take this cup of judgment and give it to His Son, who became our Savior, messianic all the way. Absolutely, and it's it's really so you you understand this metaphor, and it's like a it's it's almost like a drinking game, like of some kind that this cup gets passed back and forth. That mm-hmm. is, Israel drinks from the cup from a time, and then Israel feels, um, I mean, like it is meant to like you know represent um, or or, or, the, or the the symbolism is of intoxication. So yes. that, that's why it says awake, awake, get up, right? Because it's like they're 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 falling over, they feel sleepy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like an kind of intoxication. Um, but, but it's, it's a bad kind, right? Where you the kind where you like, you feel sick, you know, you feel like you have a headache, right? And so for a time, Israel drinks it and then God says, okay, cup goes over here. And then, so Israel's enemies drink it and then Israel, it goes back to Israel and Israel has to drink from it. Yes. And then it goes back to Israel's enemies. So it, it goes back and forth, back and forth. But at some point you're like, hang on a second. Like, do we have to like keep passing this cup back and forth for all eternity? You know, like. Is, is this cup always going to be here? Is it always going to come back to us? Like, when is this going to end? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to play this game anymore. Um, and it's actually only Jesus is the one who can drink the whole thing. And that's a word that we don't use all the time. But down to the dregs, referring to, like, the little bit at the bottom that has even, like, the sediment there. You know, Jesus is the only one who can take all the wrath of God and just drain the thing. Drink the whole thing. Um, and that's exactly what he did for us on the cross that, you know, like when we hear that when he's in the garden and he says, you know, may this cup pass from me, but your will be done. It, it's because of what he did, because he drained the cup of God's wrath mm-hmm. that doesn't have to get passed to us. The the cycle of, of uh, judgment and punishment and condemnation doesn't go on for all eternity because the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. And this is the Jesus who we celebrate that his coming has come to us um, as we're as we will find out at the end of the month uh, it's one of the reasons why Christmas is such a beautiful time of the year not just because of the presence not just because of all the other things that are happening but because of God's gift to us and you can see it already in Isaiah 
And as I mentioned, as I made went back and forth in the chapter before this and the chapter after this, this is mm-hmm. the heart of what Isaiah was talking about when he was talking about what we call messianic prophecy. They're all over the place in these chapters. And it doesn't make sense to us unless that happens. Uh, Pastor Espinoza, it amazes me. I wonder if Isaiah would be blown away by how his words were fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, Isaiah, of course, was already. I mean, I mean, this is a vision of uh, you know stuff that was like, happening a hundred years later. You know, this is you know, right. far long time after everything with Assyria, right? Right. Um, and so just to, just to see the size and scope of everything with the Babylonians and the Persians, I think would have been, I mean, would it would have been a lot to take in. But then to see how this isn't just referring to you know you've been drinking from the cup and now I'm going to make the Babylonians drink from the cup, right? Like, yeah, that <clears throat> that happened historically, but then ultimately, you know, that Jesus uh, drinks the cup and that, that he doesn't just, you know, rescue um, his people from a particular battle or a particular episode, but, I mean, actually, like, wins the day against evil forever. I mean, it's just, I, who, who, who saw that coming, right? I mean, it was... Uh, you know, you, you, you could have thought that it was just going to kind of go back, you know, go on forever that God sends a Messiah here and there. But then there's like this, you know, the Messiah who, mm-hmm. who does this once and for all. I mean, it's um, it's it's the it's the most beautiful thing. And in a couple of days, we will hear that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. That's the Amen. ultimate reason why christmas is important because this sets it all up right someone someone's got to come and deal with this problem lest it go on for all eternity someone has to come and actually bring the salvation and destroy this cycle of of tyranny and bloodshed someone's got to do it and only jesus could because we can't do it ourselves exactly exactly Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, yeah, it's been a little while since July. Had to have you uh, had to have you on sooner than than like uh, four or five months from now. So all right, uh, we're doing Joshua next year. So so come back in January or February. (laughs) That'd be wonderful. I'll look forward to it. (laughs) Sounds good, everybody. Pastor Doug nicely, pastor of Jerusalem Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois. Thanks for joining us. We think. Our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, you can check them out online at lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.